I invite you all to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, starting today in verse 25. I think it's a sweet gift from the Lord that this particular passage is the one we're going to study together on Graduation Sunday. We just sang the key verse in our last song, verse 33, one of the most famous verses in the Gospel of Matthew, and our brand new hide the word verse for this summer. We're going to get this one into our hearts. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What a perfect passage to give as a gift to our grads. By the way, we gave them a couple other books, and one of them is a great big thick Bible that I expect you to carry with you everywhere you go. Actually, it's a great reference study Bible, and there's a code inside of it for, a, for the Bible and the notes to be unlocked on your phone as well. So you can put this one on your desk, and then you can carry the other one around in your pocket. What a perfect passage, Matthew six thirty three, to give as a gift to our grads. So Jacob and Jordan, I hope this message speaks especially to you as you launch into this new exciting season of your life. But of course, Jesus didn't just give that verse to the grads, did he? He gave it to all of his disciples and all of us here. And he didn't just give it as a verse all by itself, just kind of stuck out there on its own. I mean, you can tell just by the word it starts with. What does Matthew 6.33 start with? But. So there's an argument going on here. And it references all these things. And it doesn't say what all these things are. So we have to study this verse in its context to really get its message. So let's do that. The context is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We've been in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount since February. The first of five major blocks of teaching from our Lord in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has gone up on a mountainside and has begun to teach authoritatively. He is teaching as the King, the Messiah who was to come, the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament, and the fulfiller of all the law of the Old Testament too. In his Sermon on the Mount, King Jesus is telling his disciples how to live as citizens of his kingdom, which has come and is to come. And we've said that this kingdom is an upside-down and an inside-out kingdom. Have you heard me say that the last few weeks? Upside-down and inside-out. That is, that everything in this kingdom seems upside-down. But it's really us that are upside-down. So we need to change to fit in. We need to repent because the kingdom is near. And we need to change from the heart. It's not good enough to look good on the outside. Jesus wants us to change from the inside out. To have a righteousness that is whole. W-H-O-L-E. Complete. Perfect. From the heart out to our behavior. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Right? They just look good on the outside, but on the inside they were a mess. They were just outside people. Our righteousness, Jesus says, needs to be greater than theirs. Our needs to be wholehearted from the inside out. And where we left off last week, Jesus was saying that our hearts need to be wholly His when it comes to money and possessions. Money and possessions. Jesus warned us to choose, what was the word, choose wisely between two paths. 
between two masters. He said, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then he immediately teaches our passage for today. Our passage today flows right out of that statement about God versus mammon, God versus money. In fact, it says, therefore, right? Let's read it, Matthew 6, 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this opportunity to delve into your word. Thank you for giving us your word. This is from you. This is holy scripture. This is what we need for life and godliness. You've told us. So, Lord, help us to listen. Help me to proclaim it well, to teach it as it is, to not add any spin or extra stuff or take anything away but to give it as a gift to these grads to their parents and to our congregation lord we need to hear from you so speak use me if you can work around me if you must but speak to our hearts today lord fit us for your kingdom make us right side up from the inside out we ask in jesus name amen I only have two simple points to make this morning to try to capture the application of this passage. Neither one of these should surprise you. They are right here in the text, but both of them are big. Capital B-I-G. No matter how simple they are. And here's number one. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. Jacob and Jordan, are you listening? Do not worry about your life. Easier said than done, huh? I don't know about you, but I need this one badly. In fact, I studied it all yesterday afternoon looking for loopholes. Can I get out of this? Because left to my own devices, I am a worrier. 
It's one of my besetting temptations. My wife tells me that she remembers copying out this particular passage of Scripture and giving it to me on a piece of paper as a gift in the first year that we knew each other. Long before we were married, long before we were engaged, when we were about your age, Jacob, your age, Jordan, when we were just barely dating, Heather could already see that I had a major problem with worry. And she said, here, read this. You need it. Little prescription from Dr. Heather. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Look at the first verse. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Three times. In this passage, Jesus tells his disciples to not worry. Verse 25, he says it. Verse 31, he says it. Verse 34, he says it. You think he might mean it three times in one passage? The first one probably has the sense of stop your worrying. Kind of a cut it out. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Now, Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't think ahead or plan for the future. Our graduates are right to be making plans for what's next for them. Good job. We saw last week that the Proverbs commend the prudent who look into the future and make appropriate preparations. But do not worry about your life. I also don't think that Jesus is prohibiting us from being concerned about things. We're called to care about certain things, and very deeply, to care how they turn out, to care about others and their futures. The Apostle Paul talks about his concern for the churches and how perplexed he was. Remember in Galatians, how perplexed he was for that church? You could just feel it, the concern he had. He talked about it was like giving birth, and it's right to be concerned, and even heavily perplexed at times about things. But do not worry about your life. Do not get carried away with worry. Do not give in to anxiousness about your life and your future. And that extends down to the basic details of life. What does he say? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink. You don't get much more basic than that. Or what you will wear. Why? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Jesus here uses questions to prod our hearts. He's a master of questions. Here he is preaching this message, and yet he asks these questions to kind of get a hook in them and pull him towards him. What's the answer to that last question? Is life more important than food? Is the body more important than clothes? Yes, of course it is. I think the point is that God has given us life, and that's a big thing. Don't you think he can do the small thing of giving you food? If God has given you a body, that's a big thing. Don't you think he can provide something to keep you warm and modest? The point is that God cares. Jesus asks another question to show this. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? What's the answer to that one? Are you you more valuable than a bird? Yes. 
Now, some animal rights activists may say differently, but Jesus says, yes, my disciples are worth more than the birds. And what does he say about that? And your heavenly Father feeds them. Don't miss those words. Your heavenly Father. I think those are some of the most important words in this whole passage. We get so used to those words, but they are mind-blowing when you think about them. Your relationship, heavenly God, Father. Intimacy, provision, power, relationship. Those words change everything, don't they? I mean, if God is your Father, then what follows from that? What do you have to worry about? If God is your Father, what do you have to worry about? Now notice that Jesus is not saying that these people shouldn't work. Do birds work? Of course they do. In fact, they spend all day looking for food. This is not a call to laziness. Jacob, Jordan, don't go home and say, Pastor Matt said I don't have to go get a job. No, Jesus said, do not worry about your life. It's not a call to laziness. It's a call to confidence, to peace. Because you are more valuable than the birds. Now listen to this question, verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? What's the answer to that one? Well, I totally act like I can. I've often called worrying my superpower, right? I'm really good at it, yeah. I mean, if I just worry, at least I'm what? I'm doing something. I'm worrying. I'm like holding the world together by my worry. Is that how it works? It's absolutely the opposite. Jesus says that worry is worthless. Worry is worthless. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Or literally, a single cubit to his height. Kind of the, could you get 18 inches taller just by worrying? Would that carry you down the road? Just 18, can you add 18 inches to your life by worrying? Is it a superpower? No. In fact, you might be able to do just the opposite. Take some hours off your life by worrying. Worrying does not accomplish anything. Now, that's one of the ways you can tell if you're caught in sinful worry. Sinful worry is not productive. Being properly concerned and engaged can be productive. Worry is counterproductive. always takes you backwards. Worry is foolish. There's no point to it. Here's another question from Jesus, verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? What's the answer to that one, to that question? Will he do it? Yes, of course he will. Because God is your heavenly Father. Now, my wife loves flowers. She would spend all day, every day in a flower garden if she could. And she's seen some beautiful ones. Last year, she got to go to Monet's garden in France. There is so much beauty in God's world. And this is the time 
of year to see it, right? When you just go out into the woods or just go out to the field and you just see beauty everywhere, right? Remember Solomon and how much glory he had in, in uh, First Kings? We saw that uh, last year or the year before. Just how glorious he was. Well, Jesus says Solomon had nothing on the flowers. And they're just here today and gone tomorrow. If God does that just for nature, what will he do for his children? See how the argument goes from the lesser to the greater? Do you see what Jesus called us at the end of that verse? O you of little faith. The Greek word for that is oligopistoi. And Jesus calls his disciples that four times in the Gospel of Matthew. Oligopistoi. You think you could say that one to your neighbor? Go ahead and try. Oligopistoi. Some of you didn't try. Here's what it means. Come on, guys. Don't you trust me? Don't you trust your heavenly Father? My wife has a similar term of endearment for me and my three sons. She calls us, you dummies. (laughs) When we're just not thinking. When we've forgotten what we know. But she never says it in anger. She says it to give us a gentle shove back to where we belong. That's what Jesus is doing with oligopistoi. Oh, you of little faith. He's giving us a gentle shove to remind us to not give in to worry. The opposite of worry is trust. The opposite of anxiousness is faith. And the reason we can have faith, the reason we can trust, is because God is our Father. Look at verse 31. So do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Where is it going to come from? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Do you see the rebuke? There's a rebuke, there's a rebuke here, there's a scolding, but it is so gentle. Some of you have tender consciences about your worry, about, your, about anxiousness. And you're like, oh great, another thing to worry about. Now I can't, wor- I can't be worried about being worried, right? Jesus is saying, don't worry. I got this. Trust me. Right? There's a rebuke here, though. He's saying, when you run after all that stuff, you're acting like you don't have God. Yes, the pagans get consumed by stuff. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. Where are we going this weekend? What's going on? Money and possessions and stuff. Well, they don't have God. They store up stuff in the first bank of earth, like we talked about last week, because that's the only bank they know. That's the only bank they can see. It's the only bank they can believe in. But we know about first bank of heaven. And we know God the Father. And God the Father, it says, knows what we need. They have no God. What's your excuse? Yeah, it's a rebuke. But it's also a reassurance. Don't just hear the rebuke. Hear the reassurance. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. They seek them strenuously. They're running after them. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So trust Him. Verse 33, but 
Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's number two. Seek first his kingdom. You see, that's the antidote to worry. You can't just stop worrying. Ever try that? Doesn't work. I'm just going to stop worrying. Okay, I'm done worrying. Well, that was easy. I wish it was like that. Doesn't work like that. You stop worrying by trusting and seeking first his kingdom. You put the kingdom first. And amazingly, all these things will be gifted to you too. Now, all these things in verse 33 must be the food and drink and clothes that the disciples need. The daily bread, the sustenance, the provision, the, the needs. And they come almost as an afterthought for what's really important. Don't turn this into how do I get my daily needs trick. Because then you're still focusing on your daily needs. Well, I'll, I'll seek the kingdom and then I'll get this other stuff that I'm looking for. No. Don't worry about that other stuff. Just seek the kingdom and the other stuff will fall in line. Now, the word for seek in verse 33 is the same root word as the run after in verse 32. Right? So the pagans, they run after, zealously run after these things. It's the same root word in verse 33. It means to strive for something, to find something, to search it out, to make it a priority. Jesus wants us to run after the kingdom. This kingdom he's been talking about, he wants us to make that our first priority so that every other priority seems really far down the list. This is the opposite of what the world will tell you. When my wife graduated from high school, lo these many years ago, the speaker at her graduation, (laughs) I'm older than she is, the speaker, what's it, I'm in trouble now, the speaker Anybody want to share lunch with me today? There's a seat at my table. The speaker at her graduation ceremony talked about the vital importance of making money at her graduation. Heather's impression of this speaker was that what he had to say was that money was the most important thing in life. I'm getting that right, right? All right. And so making money was the most important thing for you to do with your life. That's what he said to the graduates. Money opens so many doors and does so much for you. So seek out money. Now, most people are not that crass. They don't come out and say it that way. This guy was at least honest. But isn't that the message of so many in this life? Money, money. Money. Mammon. That's what's important. And for those who who don't say that, they often say something else. It's happiness. Or it's popularity. How many likes do you have? How many shares? How many followers? Or it's the absence of conflict. Or it's pleasure. Or it's family. Have you heard anyone say that? Family is what's most important important. I'm sure you have. Jesus says, no, no, no. Seek first his kingdom. Make that your number one priority and all those other priorities will fall into their distant second place. 
Jordan, Jacob, seek first his kingdom. That's the antidote to worry. Have you ever heard the saying, don't sweat the small stuff? Jesus is saying, don't sweat the small stuff and everything except the kingdom of God is the small stuff. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Don't miss that phrase. Jesus has been talking a lot about righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount, hasn't he? He wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says we'll be filled, we'll be blessed, we'll, we'll, we'll flourish. He wants us to live out a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees. And if we do, then we'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us to practice our righteousness in secret for the approval of God alone. And then our Father who sees what is done in secret will reward us. He wants us to go whole hog after righteousness. And then we'll get all those other things as well. Jesus is simply saying that he wants us to live the way he's been laying out in the Sermon on the Mount and to not worry about anything else. Now, there will be times when Christians go without food or clothing. There will be times when Christians are deprived of those things in the short run. Our Lord Jesus was. The Apostle Paul was at times. This is not saying that food and clothes will miraculously drop out of the sky every single time you need them. But those times when Christians are deprived are few and far between. And they will all be more than made up for when the kingdom comes in all of its fullness. You have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. Just worry about the kingdom. Just seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Who's, whose kingdom? Whose righteousness? What is the antecedent for his in verse 33? Look down in verse 3. What's the closest referent of a person? From verse 32. Your heavenly Father. It's your heavenly Father from verse 32 that is the one who owns this kingdom in verse 33. This kingdom belongs, he says, to your dad. The kingdom belongs to your heavenly father. You have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. That's why he says, verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, graduates. Everybody. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love that. Jesus is so funny, isn't he? He, he turns tomorrow into a person that worries, okay? Tomorrow will worry about itself. I love that. Let the future worry about the future. Most of the stuff you worry about never comes true, right? Just deal with the problems you've got in front of you. That, that's, those are enough. You don't have to make more for yourself. Now, I know that there's a line here that's sometimes hard to discern. What is worry and what is appropriate concern? I know there's a line, but I don't know about you. I never run on that line. 
I'm always over here riding on the rumble strips, right? I'm almost always over in the ditch. I'm always over here worrying about my little kingdom and being oligopistoi. Oh, you of little faith. So Jesus is calling me, and I'm sure he's calling you to cut it out, to repent of sinful worry, to turn away from building my little kingdom and serving mammon, to repent of running after all of these things and to put my trust in my heavenly Father who knows what I need, who feeds the birds and clothes the fields with flowers. I've got nothing to worry about. I just need to seek his kingdom and his righteousness that he's calling me to. How about you? Is his kingdom first for you? Is his righteousness first for you? If not, what is first? And what needs to change?